Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known someone that just walked with God in such a way that you could almost sense the presence of God around them? You, you knew they were like the disciples when it was said of them, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They, they just kind of had that glow almost, not a literal one, but just the, the glory of God almost evidenced on them. You ever met somebody like that? And then have you known them long enough? Is, there, is this ever happened in anybody else's life besides mine? where you see them in a few months or years and something's missing. Either some tragedy or devastation has come in their life, but something, maybe sin, distance, has cost the glory. Something's gone. Have you, have you lived long enough to have ever been a part of a church that was enjoying God's presence? And we know that His Word is uh, we're, we're hearing him speak when we open up his word to preach. But you know something about the Bible that I know? The word of God says this about the Bible. The letter killeth. I've heard a few people preach like that. Just give me a good old hard law message, but they, there was no fullness of the Spirit anywhere close by, and it was dry as last week's bird's nest. But I have heard other people come and open up a text Wednesday night, I sat here, and I honestly, I got my soul was so sweetly fed out of Psalm 103. I've read it every, every day since then. I've meditated on that truth of the glory of God, manifestation, how we bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all is in me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. How do you bless? How do you give glory to somebody that's already completely, he don't need anything, but it's a, it's a manifestation. It's a means of which we, in gratitude, come to God with joy and victory. And we share, we lavish upon Him glory. Not only who He is, His name, but forgetting not all His benefits. His, uh, what He does, what He's done in our lives. Boy, tell me the story of Jesus. Write that on my heart right there. Every day, that's what I want. And I, I believe it's what you want. But I've been in a church... Because of my ministry, every other week I get to travel and call churches to repentance. And sometimes they call early enough. It's kind of like a marriage. You know, when a marriage gets in trouble, if they get some help before it gets to the nail in the coffin place, a church can go through that as well. Maybe there used to be glory in the church, which is what the Lord said we're supposed to have. The presence of the Lord was there. But then you go and sometimes it's just not. I remember sometime a strong indictment right here. One of the young men went off to Bible college here, Pastor Cameron. I've never told you this story. And he returned after a year or two, and he asked me this question. He was not trying to be unkind, or he was just honest. He said, what, what happened? He said, when I left here, Lord, I hadn't planned to tell this. It's a little bit of an indictment. He said, when I left here, we saw the hand of God. There was blessing everywhere. And he said, things are different. Something's wrong. When he came back, he said that. Now, I could have said, my flesh wanted to say, it's you, son. It's you. It's you. you left here on fire. You come back. You got must have something. But oh, no, I knew he was right. It was one of those moments when the glory of God was obscured. So this morning, I want to move in this series on the glory of God to a place that I hope we never experience 
but a truth in the Word of God regarding the departure of the glory. The departure of the glory. Remember, the glory of God is the manifest presence of God. It's the essential. For us, it's essential. The essential presence of God in all of His splendor, in all of His glory, as He reveals Himself to you and me and mankind. Father, will you help me this morning? This subject is bigger than me, and and the danger of your glory departing is one that I, I don't even want to think about. So I pray as I sound the warning this morning, you would use your servant. More importantly, use your word through your servant. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Why? Just before we get into the text. Why did the glory depart from a man or a woman? Why did the glory seemingly depart from a church? Well, sin. Distance. A deaf ear to God. Pride. Yeah, I've watched families, this church and others, man, they're sitting together, loving each other, serving Christ, revealing, manifesting the glory of God in their lives. And then a few years later, it not be that way. What happened? In this book of Ezekiel, God points out to the prophet the greatest enemy, I believe, to the glory of God. It's called idolatry. Every one of us, lest you think you have avoided this, will at some point in our lives struggle with the sin of idolatry. I want to preach on the departure of the glory, but I want to lift a few things out of the text just before I get to it. So would you notice with me? In Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, Ezekiel's called to to come and preach to a people that are going to be and then later are in captivity. And it came to pass, Ezekiel 8, 1, in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, that the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand... Of the Lord fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins, even downward. Fire, and from his loins, even upward, as the appearance of brightness and the color of amber. I want you to stop for a moment. Um, that's this book. I love to read uh, how God spoke to. Uh, Ezekiel over and over and over again. But if you'll kind of imagine what it would have been like to try in this century to describe God. Because that's what he's trying to do. God has come to him in a vision. And before you downplay visions, may I remind you that God spoke primarily through visions and dreams before we had a completed Bible. And here, God is speaking as strongly and as truthfully and as importantly to his servant, as he does when we open our Bibles. This is a vision from the heart of God directly to the people of God in that day, but indirectly there are principles for us to draw today. So Ezekiel's trying to describe God in all of his glory. It's so bright. The fire resembles the brightness of amber, resembles the brightness of the glory of God in the presence of his servant. And the Bible says... Verse 3, and he put forth the form of a hand, took me by a lock of mine head, 
his hair, and, and the Spirit lift me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy. Remember that. Which provoketh to jealousy. And this is amazing to me, even in such an idolatrous moment. Verse 4, I underline this. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lift up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy. If you're making notes, that's the first idol. This is a pagan Babylonian idol. It's an image of jealousy. And I want you to notice what God says about it. It's right there in the, in the entry. What an offense to God. Look at verse 6. He said, furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Can you hear the heart of God? Look at, look at how bad. This is terrible, Ezekiel. This hurts me. The great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here. Look at this. This is, I underline this, this is important, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. He said, this is an image of jealousy. I am a jealous God. It has no place there. And it's almost like they want me to go away. (laughs) What church, what nation would ever say to God, it appears our nation's saying this to him now, we don't want you. We don't want your presence. We don't want your glory. And sadly, and I have to say it, not happy about saying it, somehow or another we get all excited about election time. And we think the candidate we think is going to save America, and if the other one gets in, it's going to ruin our country. Listen to me, friend. They're not on the throne. God is seated on the throne. And in this moment, we need to be way more concerned about dealing with our sin and our idolatry. And keeping the glory of God, granted, we don't see much of it outside of the gatherings of God's people, and outside of Christian homes, and men and women who walk with God. But there still is a little remnant to retain the presence and glory of God. And in my opinion, it's the only salt that's keeping back God's righteous judgment. He said, It's almost like they want me to go far off from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, Ezekiel. There's something else I want you to see. And thou shalt see greater abominations. He said, this is not the worst. It gets worse than this. And he he brought me to the door of the court. When I looked, behold, I was a hole in the wall. And and this next part, he's talking about, make it, dig in that. Go Look a little deeper. I want you to see in more detail what's going on. Look at verse 10. So I went in and saw, behold, every form of a creeping thing. An abominable beast, and all the, there it is the word again, idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. The second idols we see here is not only, number one, an image of jealousy or a pagan Babylonian idol, but number two, we see animal-like idols carved or either painted on the walls. These are, I mean, and what's sad is he's showing him inside the place of worship. What, what's happened? Now, look, we know those things are happening outside, but now they're, they're making their way in among God's people. And so God is saying to him, I'm concerned about this, and I want you to notice the next response. This is amazing. Verse 11. So, unless you think, well, I don't really have a problem with this, or I don't look, look at this. And there stood before him 70 men of the ancients. That's the elders of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood uh, Jezaniah, the 
son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand. And a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, hast thou seen what the leaders, the elders, the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? You know what? They're thinking, God don't know what we're doing. God don't know what's in my heart. Let me ask you something. In a day when seven, they say 7% of churches even call their people to repentance anymore, Pastor Cameron. Why are we doing it? Because we recognize God does know. He does know our hearts. He does know our need. He knows the condition of our life. And, they, and then God speaks this. This is powerful. Every man, in the middle of verse 12, every man in the chambers of his imagery in his heart, for they say, the Lord seeth us not. Don't fool yourself. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. Don't, don't fool yourself that God doesn't know you and know me. And he loves you far more. But he loves you so much, he wants to pull the curtain back and help you to see. And sometimes we're not even aware. I'm not sure how these elders recognized how deep they had gotten into this. I'm not. I can't imagine the house of Israel allowing that kind of idolatry, whether it was in their hearts or whether it was literal, like that image of jealousy at the door. I don't know. I know this. I know a lot of people in their marriages have no idea how far they grow away from God. Because you get away from God before you get away from your spouse, just so you know that. I have no idea that any of our students knew before our little revival that happened, and some of it's probably happening again with some of you about right now, I don't think you have any idea how far you were away from God in your responses to your family, in your responses and the sins and the thoughts of your heart, the imagery of your heart. I don't know that we even realize it. It just kind of carries us away. Look a little deeper. He said, verse 13, it's not the worst yet. Look at this. Turn ye yet again, verse 13, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Lord, how can it get any worse? <clears throat> We've already seen, Lord, the, the image of jealousy, the pagan Babylonian idol. We've already seen the animal-like alt, uh, idols carved on the walls. How can it get worse, God? Well, he said, look a little further, verse 14. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Here's the next level of idolatry. Tammuz was an Egyptian goddess of fertility. I didn't know that before I looked it up. I'm not sure exactly where the sin was in this. I do know that it was an idol and that it grieved God. And it doesn't stop here. He says, you see this son of man? Turn again and see the greater abominations of these. Verse 16, he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. We're in the inner court now. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, look at this, were about five and twenty men, twenty-five men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And look at who they were worshiping, the sun god. Twenty-five men, backs to the temple, facing the east, worshiping the sun god. That's bad. All that stuff's bad. Look, I probably didn't mention the thing that you're tempted with the most to place above God. I will tell you that an idol can be and often is a good thing. It's a good thing at first. But then somehow or another, because we humans make good things, watch this, a God thing. 
When you take a good thing and make it a God thing, it's an idol. <clears throat> Terry's not here right now, so I'll talk about her. I love her. Huh. Forty years, I remember the first time I saw her. I love her more now than I did then. And I love her. But when I make her an idol, when I make her, her affections, her approval, time and attention and affections for her more important than God, then I have made her an idol. It can be a family member. It can be leisure. Hobbies. Spending. Whatever. Anything can become an idol. And when that happens, God is very grieved. We're going to see that in just a moment. And the, the departure of this glory is going to be in direct correlation to it. But look at verse 17, last part of this, and then I'll give you my... I have a brief message, longer introduction, brief message. Look at verse 17. Then he said unto me, Ezekiel, have you seen this, O son of man? It is it a light thing <clears throat> to the house of Judah that they commit abominations which they commit here. He said, here's the big problem. Watch this. It's not even a big thing to them. It's a light thing. Oh, it's not that bad. I can do this. <clears throat> I can think this way. I can worship God every now and then, pick up my Bible occasionally. I, I can do all that if I want to, however I want. God doesn't care. It's a light thing. Not a light thing. It's not a light thing for him not to be on for him to be on the throne of your life. That's that's key. It's a light thing. You know how easy it is to backslide during a pandemic? <laughs> you have any idea? It's so easy to make life about what I do and where I go and what I want. You know what I can do? Get honey, get the phone. We're gonna watch a few minutes. Not much, just a few minutes of that. Of Pastor Cameron on Facebook Live. In fact, we'll watch the choir and a little bit of the preaching, Pastor Tom, Pastor Cameron. But then there's things, important things, you know. We've got to go eat. You know what we did this week just to give the devil a black eye? I want you to look up. There's just a few. We're going to put more. Look up to my right, your left. You see in that section, we're going to call it the corral. That's the first, first stage of giving him a black eye. You ready for that? We're adding chairs, more space. You say, you think we'll ever put the other chairs in? Heavens, yes. Oh, I believe we will. We're going to put another aisle in where we took them out, every one of these. Fill them back up with people that worship God. Hey, look here. <clears throat> Some things are to be priority. God and worship is to be priority. Here was a nation that had divorced themselves from their God and gone a-whoring after other gods. And here's the sad part, and I pray to God this never happens. What happens next is something that I am trusting God will never happen in this church and in your life. But it could. In chapter 9, in verse 3, it begins a process of the glory departing from His people. Look at chapter 9, in verse 3. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. You know, of course, do y'all remember the, the whole scene of the tabernacle? 
You remember the tabernacle? It, the word tabernacle, which by the way is what we named this building. Back, <clears throat> if you're new here, before we knocked the walls out, where you see these beams on both sides, <clears throat> were the walls. And the tabernacle here was the same dimensions as the tabernacle in the wilderness. 75 by 150. You see this on the front of the pulpit, the Ark of the Covenant? This was about where it would have sat somewhere in, the, in that scenario. In the tabernacle, if you remember, you walk through the door. You remember this in the tabernacle? And remember, there's only one door. Remember what Jesus said? I, say it with me, am the door. And then you walk in, and there's that brazen altar. And there on that altar, sacrifices are made, and blood is shed, and there's a picture of Christ again. So you got Jesus and Jesus, and then there's the brazen laver. Do you remember the brazen laver that was made from the looking glasses of the women? After they'd offer those blood sacrifices, the priest would come, the people, they would wash in, that, in that, those lavers. They would wash Jesus. Boy, he cleanses us. I mean, there's a cleansing. You see the picture? And then you walk into that, that uh, outer court. That, that first holy place, holy place. You walk in there, and there were three special things. There was the, uh, I think over to the right, I didn't look at this before I came to preach, but my memory serves me right. There's the table of showbread. Remember that? And on that table of showbread on the right-hand side, Jesus said, I am the what? Bread, the bread, yes. And then if you're looking on the other side, if, if I remember correctly, was the lampstands and the oil there and the almonds and all that. And Jesus said, I, well, what did he say about that? I am the light of the world. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. I went to a blank spot there. I'm the light of the world. And then right in front of that veil that stood there. And only the high priest could go in once a year to the veil. You remember this? This was a picture of where we live right now. When God said, I want to dwell with my people. I'm going to live in them. I'm going to work around them. I'm going to show my glory to them. And, and even though they couldn't even do it back then, only the high priest went in there. And we get to live in the presence of God if we choose to. And this generation doesn't seem to want to. But there's that altar of incense. You remember that? And they'd put that incense in there and it'd be fire on it. And when you put it on it, it would spring sweet smells up into the nostrils of God. That's what I pray happens when we worship God. He says... Gabriel, look down there at those country hicks and others. Not all of you are that. Look down there at them. They love, uh, they love me so much. That's sweet to me. I pray that's true. Don't you? And then, and then there's that veil that that day when Jesus, you remember when he died, it rent in twain, it cut in two. He said, come boldly into the throne from that point. But until that time, the high priest went in. And when he went in, Remember what was there? The Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant was a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The one we sang about just a moment ago. In it, there's the, there's the piece of uh, manna. And in that manna, he shows, he makes preparation for our food, our substance, everything we're going to need. There's a piece of the broken tablet where he said, I, I make provision in there. For the law was broken in, for their failures, for their food, for their failures. And my favorite part was that budding rod in there. Well, what in the world was he saying then? I believe when that little piece of budding rod in there was like, in Jesus is preparation, not just for our food, and not just for our failures, but for our future one of these days. How many of you ever believe one of these days Jesus is going to come again and say amen? I wonder if you really do believe it. Are you living like it? Are you worshiping him like it? You're keeping short accounts and dealing with your sin? Listen to me. Jesus is coming again. 
right above that, gold at the top. Do you remember this? Picture of the, of the divinity of Jesus Christ. That thing was made out of acacia wood, some of the hardest wood ever, picturing the divinity of Jesus, I mean the humanity of Jesus Christ. But above it was something mysterious and amazing, and it was there all the time. You know what it was? It was a cloud. Hmm, the Lord brought us a cloud, different kind of cloud. But listen, the glory cloud. Oh, to, to live, to be a person and children of Israel, to, to live in that nation and see that cloud abiding over, brought comfort to them because God is here. Here's my great fear. You ain't supposed to fear, but I do. That there'll be a day because of our idolatry or our sin. This is why we're having revival in a few weeks. That the glory cloud will be gone. Did you see it? It came up. From off the cherub, chapter 9, verse 3. Let me finish. Chapter 10, verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord, chapter 10, are you there? Verse 4. Then the glory went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. Did you see that? So at first, it comes off the cherub and then up over the threshold. Now some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're ready to eat. and you, Let me tell you, the glory's already lifted up off your altar. If you're not careful, you'll lose sight of everything and your mind will be a million miles away and you don't even know it, but the glory's gone. Where's the tears and the burden and the passion? Where, where it used to be there, there are folks that aren't here now. They're not watching anything or in their Bible or serving God. What happened? The glory departed, that's what. God didn't depart. You get saved, he, you're sealed to the day of redemption. But the presence of God and his glory can depart. That don't, it don't stop there, though. This is what's sad. Stay with me, I'm almost done. Verse, verse 18, chapter 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord. Remember, it's already lifted up from off the cherub. Now it's lifted up from the threshold of the house. Verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. But finally, this is maybe one of the saddest verses in the Bible when you consider the whole concept. Look at chapter 11 and verse 22. Then did the cherubim lift up their wings and the wheels beside them. And the glory of the God of Israel, listen, was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city. Listen, for the first time in a thousand years, the glory is off of the ark of God. That concern you? You better be way more concerned about that than who gets elected on the, in November. Because then we're in a real mess. As long as he's near, I'm all right. I'm going to close with a story I never even thought about. What are we going to do? We're going to have revival. We're going to repent. That's what we're going to do return next few days we'll be preaching on it preparing for it there's a story told of a little boy who was the apple of his mother's eye loved her so much she was so precious an important part of the family and dad and mom had a wonderful family little boy was the only child and he loved his mother oh so much she got sick she got worse Oftentimes a little boy would fear and he would run in there and get in the bed with his mom and daddy and tremble and pray. Lord, don't let mommy die. Don't let mommy die. 
But in the providence of God, in time, she did pass. And the little boy wept and grieved. It was a tragic moment. When they came home from the funeral home, he said, Dad, can I sleep with you tonight? In fact, can I sleep with you for a while, Daddy? His daddy said, of course you can. Just two of them now. He said, turn out the lights. About an hour passed, neither of them could sleep. And the little boy said, Daddy, is your face toward me? His dad reached over and touched him. He said, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, son. My face is toward you. He said, okay. Then I'm going to go to sleep now. I believe I can sleep now because I know your face is toward me. And you're right here. Let me tell you something. Everything will be all right if his face is toward us, if his glory is among us. I pray to God, and I ask you to join me in this and do it with faith and mean it, that the heart of this church is, Lord, pray with Moses, show us, show me, show our church, our community, our children, our grandchildren, show us your glory. And God, if you're not going to go with us, don't take us up hither. Somebody said to me not long ago, why do y'all do so many activities? Why do you do so? I'll tell you why. By God's grace, there's some glory on a few of these saints. Not all of us, but a few of us. And hopefully tonight when you're in line getting your taco or your brisket, you can reflect a little of that glory to a lost world of hopeless people who do not know him. And you know what's been the case all through these years? After we do one of these patriotic deals, or Christmas deals, or food truck, or whatever, people just amazingly start coming. Well, well what, how'd you find out about us? Well, don't you remember I was out there eating a barbecue with you? We just saw the sign came. I came to the patriotic it seemed like there was something different around that place. Look, it's all about the glory. It's never been about the food. It's never been about the fun. It's, by the way, it's, it's really fun to be in God's presence. That's the kind of fun I'm talking about. But all the other is all a means to an end. Thank you for preaching to us on the glory life. That's what I want the rest of my life. Would you pray this way? Lord, don't let me miss your glory. Choir sings that, don't they? Don't let us lose your presence. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. I don't know how God's speaking to your heart. There may be sin now that he's putting his finger on. Don't wait till the revival to get it right. But I know this. I know the next few weeks are moving us toward you're going to run from it or you're going to run to it. You're either going to run from the presence of God and the glory or you're going to run to it. I'm going to ask you to run to it and cry out Lord for your glory Lord sadly I have to confess to you and to our people that I've lived some of my life not enjoying the fullness of your glory forgive me Lord I've tried to do ministry lead a family at times 
without your glory. Lord, I don't want to ever do that again. Forgive me for the idols that have slipped into my life. And just like Ezekiel saw it, this morning you're helping us to see it. In a moment, I pray that men and women would walk down these aisles. We've gotten to the place where we're almost too proud to kneel or to come and sit along front benches acknowledging, God, help us not to get too big for our britches and to forget the mourner's benches, the times of repentance. Oh, God, show us your glory. Remain in power here. Do not depart from this place and from we, your people, in Jesus' name.